Today on Season 3, Episode 32 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, Bryce and Ken continue the COVID talk. Bryce gives us the latest information on the NFL and NFLPA's stance on testing and player safety. Ken breaks down the new roster and practice squad limits. He also guides us through the Packers' fiscal reports and their expected financial health throughout the pandemic. We end with a listener question, and Ken tries to stump Bryce with a doozy of his own. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And now it's time for New Camp on Tap. so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for our latest episode, New Camp on Tap, as training camp begins and we just released our COVID on Tap episode highlighting the pandemic and its impact on the NFL and Green Bay. We're going to go into NFL and NFL Players Association updates, the new preseason, if you will, the new training camp, if you will, all the different revisions, proposals, guidelines. We'll talk about the Packers and uh, where they're sitting fiscally, and then we'll wrap up with some fan questions. But I am not riding solo today. I've got my other brother from another mother, co-host Ken Ingalls. And first and foremost, Ken, I think it's pretty interesting when you're looking at this new camp we're stepping into. The Packers, people are not aware that there's an Infectious Disease Emergency Response Plan, IDER, which still needs to be approved by the NFL Players Association, which regards COVID-19 prevention, testing, and management of positive cases. 18 teams have already submitted plans that are being reviewed as of Monday, July 20th, and seven teams have yet to even submit their IDR plan. There's been a bunch of talk with the NFL and NFL Players Association, but what is your perspective right now with the new camp that we're looking at? Well, an update, I think. I saw something just before we came on to record today. So the league has received all 32 plans, but only eight have been approved. So they're still pending 24 teams kind of plans of how they're going to try and keep players, coaches, staff, everyone in and out of the building as safe as possible. And my understanding is before anyone is allowed or before more than 20 people are allowed in the building, that plan needs to be approved for the Packers. And looking at Thursday the 23rd, that's the day that rookies are supposed to come back to work and also quarterbacks for this kind of new look camp. So hopefully that's something that can get done in the next couple of days and reviewed. But yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a new look camp starting off. I think the official word that's coming around as of Tuesday night was we are officially looking at zero preseason games for this season, which is crazy. I know 
The players have been hard and fast, wanting to not play zero games. The league started off saying we want to maybe have two games to give our coaches time to ramp up and still have a product on the field and, of course, money. But it sounds like yeah. zero is going to be the magic number. So the first time we're going to see football on TV is going to be pre presumably week one. It's crazy. I mean, the players get what they want. You know, no preseason games. So originally in the offseason, the league proposed cutting in half the usual four-game exhibition slate by playing only two games. However, the players sought zero. On Monday, July 20th, the NFL countered with one, but offered none before the days was out. So there is no preseason games. Players get what they want right now, but the owners... They're going to show their teeth. They're going to show their fangs when it comes down to it, like you said, money. So they get what they want now, but be careful what you wish for. Uh, unfortunately, what you know, this business is nasty. And when we're looking at no preseason games, the whole hashtag, we want to play, you had several Packer players as well as other notable NFL players tweeting out their concerns. You know, Russell Wilson and his wife, who's pregnant, he's concerned about possibly compromising his wife or his unborn child. And going into the COVID testing, this whole prevention, management, whatever they have in place, the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, the players... I should say the NFL wants to test daily for the virus. A joint committee of doctors, trainers, strength coaches formed by the NFL and the NFL Players Association recommended testing every other day. Other outstanding issues included number of preseason games, which we just talked about. The league had planned to cut four to two to one and now none. Players also wanted a 40-day acclimation period to help avoid injuries. The league asked them to report early, but then the union declined. Questions remain on protections for players who want to opt out of playing. Under the collective bargaining agreement, the NFL has the right to impose report dates and teams can find players who don't report. The Players Association could file a grievance to argue that the league isn't providing a safe work environment under the labor deal. Before I go into the whole testing tier one, tier two, and everything like that, give me your, your spin, your take on that. Yeah, th there's a mouthful there. There's a lot going on. And like you started off talking about the players kind of got what they want from the player safety side of things. And of, of course, that's important. And then from the no games and having an eased in training camp with less padded practices and more acclimation time. Those are really e like in terms of negotiating, those are really easy because there, there's no economics involved. So from the owner's perspective, they're like, sure, fine. And the burden just kind of falls on the players and the coaches to deliver. But I think the real, like everything that's been agreed to so far is like the super easy stuff. The real tricky thing is going to get down to the economics and not just the salary cap, right? Because we all know without fans in the stands, without preseason games being played, money is going to take a giant hit. And how that's worked out, that's, that's only one side of the equation, but... You know, the players are looking for more than just, you know, we want to keep the salary cap the same. They want guarantees for if they've got mm -hmm. a guaranteed contract this year and they don't play, well, they're like, well, that's still guaranteed. Well, so that needs to be worked out. They're looking to get some sort of stipend if the entire season is canceled. Rumors up to about $500,000 per player for anyone that reported to camp. 
that they would get paid that in lieu of their contract. That's something that's being thrown out there. There's there's a lot that needs to be looked at. It, you know, going back to the we want to play movement, I look at the JJ Watt tweeted out something that was I felt it was a really strong summary of kind of the things that they wanted to get the players united on. And you know, hats off to the players union and JC Treader for you know, orchestrating this uh, movement because we hadn't seen that. I don't believe not of this level of organization in terms of, you know, trying to get the union to communicate and kind of play, negotiate in the media a little bit, but here's what's all listed. So first thing is we want to play. We want to be safe as possible. So obviously that's, that's a, that's a given. The NFL can mandate that players show up to training camp, regardless of any agreement has been reached between the NFL and the NFL PA well, that's true because the, in lieu of any other agreement, the CBA holds true. And the mm-hmm. league even sent out a reporting letter that says, okay, basically just like any other business, we are open. We need our people there to work is kind of how that works. And so that's what the league did. But obviously we're seeing that play out now where we're kind of going back and forth. Um, they had not been granted full and proper training camp acclimation period. That's been figured out a little bit. We don't know if there'll be daily testing. That's been figured out. We don't know if there'll Mm -hmm. be preseason games. That's been figured out. We still don't know how a positive COVID test will be handled. That's been more or less figured out. Um, I think that's what some of those IDER plans are pending with. A strong and fair opt-out clause, that's pending. And then... If players don't show up on time, they can be considered fined or breach of contract. That also goes back to the CBA. So for the most part, everything that they said that they needed clarity on, there's been significant, significant progress since that movement kind of came out. What, on the 19th of July is when we started seeing social media bombarded with that. Mm-hmm. So there, there's been a lot of work in just you know a handful of days. I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, with New Camp, figured it was fitting to title our, our episode that. And according to a memo obtained by ESPN, just going through the COVID testing, the NFL and the NFL Players Association will require daily COVID-19 testing for the first two weeks of training camp. After two weeks, if the positive test rate is below 5%, the league would scale back to testing every other day. If the positive test rate is not below 5%, they'll continue with daily testing until such time as it falls below that number. If the positivity rate hits 5% or higher at any point, they'll go back to daily testing until it goes down. But then what? What if it doesn't go down? What if it gets worse? So, you know, we talked during our COVID on tap episode about this elephant in the room, which is this pandemic. And You know, we mentioned the NBA, what they're doing, you know, with this bubble and what the MLB has done. And now you see some significant strides since our last episode to now with the NFL and NFL Players Association. But there's still some, you know, these ominous harbingers that could come to fruition. Right. Upon arriving at the team facility for the first time, players and team employees will be required to test negative twice before being allowed in. Basically, you show up on day one, you take a test, go home. You then must wait 72 hours before taking a second test. If both are negative, you can go into the building and get to work on day five. The memo states that the testing rules and that 5% threshold will apply to all tier one 
and Tier 2 employees for each team in the league. A June 7th memo sent to the teams by the league defined Tier 1 employees as all players and necessary personnel who must have direct access to players. So that consists of players, coaches, trainers, physicians, and necessary personnel who have direct access to that. It defined Tier 2 as other essential personnel who may need to be in close proximity to players and other Tier 1 individuals who may need access to restricted areas. Tier 2 could consist of Gutekunst, Ball, Mark Murphy, other assistant coaches, video personnel, security. And then what it is also saying is that the league's expectation is that test results will come back within 24 hours. The NFL has contracted with bioreference laboratories to handle its tests and has said multiple times over the past several months that it wants to remain responsible by not taking up too large of a share of the available tests in the market. We will see about that. So this new camp, I, I am... I don't know if the word is mesmerized is, is the correct word. One, I want a season. Two, hearing the players saying we want to play, it galvanized me. I'm fired up. And but yet I'm concerned. I I really feel that granted there's been a lot of, you know, some significant change and a lot of conversations going back with you mentioned JC Treader in the NFL. But they also had three, four months. And so for me, we're getting down to the wire. You know, you reported or you mentioned that rookies and quarterbacks are set to report on July 23rd, Thursday. And what happens with testing? I just, I, I, I find it fascinating that yet they've had to mention multiple times that they're not going to inundate uh, the available uh tests for the market. I just, right. money talks. Right. And like you mentioned, money, money, money. And that's what I is driving this. Right. Like there's, in a pandemic, global panda- pandemic on this scale, there probably shouldn't be any professional sports leagues playing, but they're doing it for entertainment of the masses and for money. And it, it comes down as simple as that. And that's both from the leagues and from the players in those leagues. Going back to testing, it's it's in the amount of testing that's going to be happening and the frequency of the testing and the turnaround time of the testing, that's all well and good. But testing only goes so far. Like these players, there's not gonna be a bubble. Like these players, they're gonna they're gonna go home and they're gonna go go home to their family. And who knows what they're gonna do? They could be going out and hanging out with friends, going, you know, there's there's no there's a lot, a lot, a lot of player responsibility in this, and not just player responsibility. Anyone that comes in and out of the buildings mm-hmm. for practices, game day, anybody, yeah, they're all going to be tested, but testing doesn't keep you from getting infected, right? It helps, obviously, detecting if you've been infected. So you still have to demonstrate proper social distancing and proper seclusion techniques in order to prevent a widespread, you know, outbreak in the league. You know, you talk about how the positive test needs to be below 5%. So they're talking about 80 man rosters. 5% I'm glad that you mentioned that is, is four players on a team. And as of right now, right now, the NFL players association has said that there are 95 NFL players have tested positive for the coronavirus as of Tuesday across the league according to the NFLPA. 
that's about three players per team, just shy. So as of right now, and we're at three players on average a team, four players on average a team is that 5% kind of tipping point of what they feel comfortable with. And we haven't even gotten all the players together in, in the room yet, right? right? Presumably they're at home doing proper distancing and we still have that three players per team average. So that's that's troublesome. The training camp schedule, because you talked about what's it going to look like, uh, per Ian Rappaport, this is what the training camp is going to be like. So it's not going to be like camp in the past where you show up and you kind of have a week or two and then you're starting playing games. So testing and physicals for five to six days, strength and conditioning plus walkthroughs through day 12. Day 13 is apparently a day off. And then you ramp up with helmets through day 18, another day off on the 19th. And on the 20th day of camp, the pads go on. So much, much different in terms of what we're going to expect to be seeing in this training camp, in quotes, mm-hmm. this new camp that we're talking about. Players so when have... You the 20, hold on, go. when you're mentioning the 20, is that, the, is that essentially the agreement when the players propose that 45-day acclimation process? Right, well, the 45-day acclimation process is, I think, earlier, because there's no way that... We can do a full 45-day acclimation process and have mm-hmm. games start in early September. Like the math right. at this point just doesn't work out. And so that was that was again one of the NFL's asks. They said, okay, if you want a 45-day acclimation period, then we need to you need to report earlier. But then the players are pointed to the CBA and said, Well, the CBA says we don't have to report till mid-July. So it, it's impossible to do both unless you're gonna push back the start of the league, which that's that's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we're at now. And that whole acclimation period stems from the uh, the lockout that we saw back in the 2011 season with the new CBA, where they reported that a lot of players were having injuries in camp because their offseason was cut short due to labor unrest. And when players came back, when the agreement was signed kind of at the 11th hour, there was a lot of soft tissue injuries and hamstring pulls and things like that. People just not being in shape. And so I understand where they're coming from, but you know, a little bit of a unpopular take here might be like, look, every sign, you know, the league has been saying we're going to be playing games. And if you're a professional athlete, your, you know, your job is to kind of maintain your health and your fitness level. If you're showing up to camp, if like, you know, was it in two, you know, two, three days in a week or so, depending on your status, and you're not ready to go, like, that's a little bit on you as as a player to make sure that, you know, you should be kind of ready to go. Like, I understand. But then adding another 45 days on top of it, like long gone are the days where you show up to training camp to get in shape. You know, that was like the 70s, <laughs> 80s and 90s you yeah. get guys who would just be gassed. And so they would run, you know, two days, three days, you know, just to get these guys in into shape and you know that's just not it anymore but i guess this is new camp and you know there's going to be again you're not you're not putting on pads until the 20th day of camp you're not putting on helmets until the 18th day of camp this is definitely a new look and things are going to be slow and you know i i get it you know safety is at the top of everyone's mind and but I, is it it well is it it's i think for the players well 
Right, right, but, but like, man, there's, money is driving. I think there's there's no way playing there, devil's advocate. There's no procedure. There's no test you can make. There's no procedure that you can do. There's no bubble you can put around the NFL and have it be COVID proof. It's it's impossible. So just by just by agreeing to play, and that's you know on the league and the players, they're both agreeing that they want to play. Hashtag we want to play. Mm-hmm. They're they're agreeing they, they they know full well there is risk and they're they're trying they're trying to mitigate it but like it's not if players get covid it's when and what exactly. what do we do when that happens and you know i mentioned it you know when we talked last week when we talked about our covid on tap episode you know what happens when the entire offensive line gets it yep. what happens when your star quarterback gets it i i don't know but it's going to happen. I don't see a world where it doesn't. It's just going to be very different. It's a new camp. It's a new season. I mean, new CBA signed in March. I had no idea that they were going to perceive a global pandemic. It's so wild that that was finalizing when it was around us. We just, it just hadn't been declared essentially, or people just weren't willing to see it happening. We got distracted, I guess, until the you know NBA season suspended, and then that's when everyone started thinking, okay, something's going on here. And we uh, also, with roster sizes being trimmed down, and how does that affect undrafted free agents? You oh, look man. at practice squad and all the different new procedures for that to try to alleviate any sort of issues if someone tests positive or if an outbreak occurs there's no minimum when it comes to the practice squad but we're going to dive into to that a little bit more in the second half we're going to talk about Lambeau Field and the Green Bay Packers and Mark Murphy and how they did fiscally and what that might look like moving forward in the midst of a global pandemic and then we'll wrap up with some fan questions but we're going to take a quick commercial break Go Pack Go. This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Here at Sonic Transformation, we believe that every good audio project starts with a good foundation. We want to help you build that foundation. Whether it be through commercial products or things you have around the house, no job is too big or small. We can make your podcast sound the best it can with what you have and a little nudging along the way. No equipment? No problem. Our consultants can help you get set up on your budget and in your space. Do you already have an established podcast, but don't have the time to edit or just wish it sounded better? We can take care of that for you as well. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Again, that's www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined. And we are back with the second half of New Camp on Tap and talking about the practice squad and also, you know, the roster changes. That's another added twist to the New Camp. Can you expand on all that, Ken, and what all that entails? I know I tweeted out a little bit of information regarding practice squad and I got some misguided information. And I know that a lot of it is out there and you're getting it directly from 
the CBA and yeah, give us your view and updates on everything that entails with the roster and practice squad. All right. So two things when it comes to roster and practice squad. First is that the most up-to-date talk suggests that the NFL and the players union are looking towards only bringing 80 players to camp. So down from your typical 90 that are brought in. And usually those last 10 or so spots are you're going to be your undrafted guys or your tryout guys that eventually make the team. And so that's tough. That's really, really tough sledding for those undrafted players who might not even get a chance to show up to practice and then definitely won't get a, a shot to show what they can do on the field. That hasn't been officially announced yet, though. There's still some back right. and forth. There might, like I, one of the latest things I saw is that they still might bring 90 and then like a week or two into camp, figure out who the first 10 cutdowns are going to be. So that'll be interesting. No kidding. I, I, I know like a team like the Packers, typically you have one, two, three guys who are undrafted that, that make the initial 53-man roster. And you definitely have a few that land on the practice squad that eventually get elevated. So that's that's really, really tough to see. To make a decision like that, like within a matter of like how many practice, I mean... And that doesn't even include, that's, you know, that's what the the testing and then the strength and conditioning and then pads on. So there's a chance that players get cut before even they take any sort of significant snaps in practice. Right, right. It could all be what they can do in the classroom or what they're doing in the weight room. John Kuhn put, put something out on Twitter that I think really summed it up well is zero preseason games and 10 players cut on each team before they ever touch the field. 2020 is not a fair year for anyone, and unfortunately, this was the price that needed to be paid so that football and its star players would feel safe enough to play. And I thought that that was short and sweet, and it kind of summed mm-hmm. it up. Like, I it's, mean, it sucks, it's not fair, but it, it sucks for everyone, and... Man, I, I I feel real bad for those bottom of the roster guys because I feel like those are the guys that you that we root for. Everyone kind of finds their one guy in mm-hmm. camp, and they they're kind of their folk hero, if you will, and that you root for and you hope to see make the team. You know, whether it's on special teams or they make that excellent play in like the third or fourth preseason game, and you you want to make it hard for cutdown. And you know, part of that drama, part of the the, the dance that we love so much, it just it seems like it'll be a little vacant, a little bare without that type of stuff happening. Well, that, the new camp, and that's 10 per team. So that's over, that's 320 players in the NFL. And you know that there's, you know, some, some hidden gems throughout that. So teams are going to make some unfortunate mistakes that they couldn't really foresee given this, you know, short window. And... The new camp, right? It's pretty wild. I mean, you have the virtual draft, and then obviously no rookie mini camp, no OTAs. It's been a virtual off season, so I know that coaches have had an opportunity to work with players virtually. But you're also looking at the rookies that just got drafted. Um, there's significant football development that has been taken away from these rookies that it doesn't you know, just impact those undrafted free agent, those players buying for that roster spot, those 10 that will possibly get cut. You're also looking at these rookies 
that look at these three six-rounders that you have that you drafted with Hansen, Runyon, and Stepanek. It, who's to say that they make the team, you know? I mean, right. so it's going to be... Or or do, you, do, do they make the team because they were draft picks and you don't want to... You don't want to throw away your investment before you see what you got, you know? Yeah. I could, I could see that all, point, too. Like put I, all that time and energy researching and, you know, vetting, and then you select it. So instead of these undrafted guys, but, man, right. there's undrafted guys that should have been drafted. I mean, no one gets it right every year. Right, right. Well, and anything that you want to touch on in regards to preseason uh, roster changes, COVID testing, new camp before we pivot to the Green Bay Packers yeah, and their annual report that just got released. Yeah, the last thing I guess that you had mentioned, but I uh, didn't get to, I'm going to circle back, was a uh, practice squad. So new this year with the new CBA, they increased the number of spots from 10 to 12 players and on the practice squad. And two of those spots can be for players with any amount of accrued seasons. Usually it's for someone who does not have an accrued season, which is six Mm -hmm. games being played. With COVID, there's still talks about how we can potentially expand the practice squad, potentially up to, I've seen reports of 16 or even 20 players and removing some of the stipulations around how many years they could have of experience, just to kind of create almost like a you know, an emergency pool of players again, because it's not if, it's when players get positive COVID tests and they have to seclude themselves, you're going to need guys to, to step up. Right. One rule that was put into the CBA this year, which was really nice, kind of, it's just a quality of life rule that was put in, is that each week a team can promote up to two players from the practice squad onto their roster. So it goes from 53 to either 54 or 55 for that week. But the at number of active players is still the same. So it's either going to be, um, it's actually up one from last year. So 46 was in 2019 and prior. 2020, you can have 47 active players. You can have 48 active players if that 48th guy is the eighth or more offensive lineman. So hopefully right. you're following along. So more yep. more big guys on the line is, mm-hmm. I guess, what they wanted in the, um, the players wanted in the CBA. Which bodes well for our, you know, late round, six round draft picks. Absolutely. But what's nice is so those guys, you can call them up basically to the active roster, kind of like baseball, right? You call them up and then instead of in the past, if you wanted to cut, so if you only need like a one week guy to kind of fill out your roster and then you'd have to waive them and then hope that no team claimed that player and then they'd have to clear waivers and you'd have to sign them back to your practice squad. It was a lot of transactions. Now you can do that two times per player on the practice squad and they automatically revert back to your practice squad without having to clear waivers. So, but, and that doesn't, you know, people are thinking, oh, does that, does that mean that, you know, it's just less, you know, that player doesn't have ability to sign anywhere or get picked up. Well, any player on a practice squad is technically a free agent and can sign with any team at any time. So that's there's no additional limitations there. But from a print, you know, in in new COVID world, in new camp world, they're saying they might alter the new language of the CBA to say that 
you can promote more guys than just two, or you can do it more than two times per player a year. Just to have that flexibility to be able to move guys up and down, just because they, they, I think teams and players are all aware that th- there's going to need to be fill-ins. There's going to be guys yep. who go down. COVID, yep. I think, is going to be called a football injury, technically. Yeah, I saw that. So that that in itself offers some protections and things and just kind of more legalese. The last little tidbit before we move in is something I saw is that players will wear proximity recording devices during all team activities at the facility, practice, team travel, everywhere. And the data from those devices will provide highly precise contract tracing information. So if someone get pops with a positive test, they can immediately look and see who that person has been in close Whoa. proximity with in, on the team and get those guys in for testing as well. That was from a uh, Pro Football Talk article that I saw. And that was a piece of information I hadn't seen anywhere else. And that came from Dr. Alan Sills, the league's chief medical officer. And that was a new kind of tidbit. And so- That's a sexy tidbit. Yeah, it's it's sexy, but it's also crazy that they can tell like- It's scary. You know, like, okay, not only were you in the room with this guy, but you were sitting directly next to this guy. And so that's, oh, yeah. you know, so if like if you're sitting next to, you know, if you and I were sitting in a room, they would know that. And that that's exactly. crazy. That's absolutely crazy. It's what and, Edward Snowden warned us about, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Big brother. Again, for all those that are joining the Unknown Packers podcast on our new journey, we've had Ken Ingles along for the last four or five episodes and we will be continuing moving forward as my co-host and it's that type of perspective it's those tidbits of information that i love that i learned that i hope that everyone that is tuning in also has um, some takeaways and as we pivot a little bit into this is still pandemic and covid19 related the packers released you know their annual report and after breaking the 500 million mark in total revenue for the first time ever in their 2020 fiscal year, the Green Bay Packers do expect to take a significant financial hit in 2021 is what Mark Murphy said. This is what he said on Tuesday, July 21st. Quote, we're in uncharted waters and it's hard to estimate what the impact will be for us this year. Although we know it will be significant. While the organization is bracing for a financial hit in its 2021 fiscal year, Mark Murphy has said that he believes the Packers are still set up for long-term success. You know, we talked about the impact on, you know, Fox Valley and Green Bay. You know, that that area, Green Bay is the Packers, but it looks like the Packers have set themselves up nicely to where they can di- where they've diversified. Murphy has said the Packers corporate reserve fund, which was started in case of financial emergencies like this one, is up to 411 million. Though he said the team is still hopeful it won't have to tap into that fund this year. Murphy also added that the NFL's long-term collective bargaining agreement, which runs for another 11 seasons, bodes well for the Green Bay Packers. The CBA provides teams with a significant share of the NFL's broadcasting revenue, which the Packers organization expects to be its main source of revenue this year. He also said the title town diversifies the Packers, and he expects that over time it will be, quote, very beneficial to the community and the organization, end quote. The team has said that it might not have to dip into their $441 million corporate reserve fund if the NFL succeeds in having a season. However, the team has, has lines of credit with local banks that will make 
using the reserve fund less likely. The reserve fund itself recovered from the coronavirus-caused dip in investments in March and April. The fund has gone as low as $356 million, but it's up to its pre-virus level. It's impressive to see what the Green Bay Packers have done. What was it, like 8,910% increase in their revenue? I mean, we've already talked about it, you know, with training camp, OTAs, the impact of the pro shop, all these other things. Now no preseason games. Uh, that impacts the Green Bay Packers. Uh, what's your take on on everything that uh, the Packers unveiled with their uh, fiscal, their annual fiscal report? Yeah, 2020 was definitely, if you look at it, you know, the, some of those numbers, they jump off the page at you when you look at a 9,610% increase Oh, in, uh, from profit from operations. Well, that's where statistics gets you in trouble a little bit because it sounds like crazy. But again, they had almost no profit last year, less than a million. So to, to go from basically zero to 70 is a big you know number. <laughs> but again, the, the Packers are going to, they'll be okay. The, what I like to look at when I look at their report that comes out is the national revenue. So they got, $296 million from the league, and most of that is kind of TV money. The local revenue was $210 million, and that's the piece that is in question going forward this season. If there's no fans in the stands, that number is mm-hmm. going to dip. We know that there are no preseason games, so two of those games that's you know, that's local revenue as well. They're not going to see that. And so that's where that's where things get in sticky situation when we look at future cap situation. We haven't talked about it too much yet on the Unknown Packers podcast, but I'm sure we'll have an episode where we'll focus on kind of the future of the salary cap and exactly where we think that'll be. But if the Packers don't have to dip into their emergency fund, that would be excellent. You know, every Mm -hmm. team needs a rainy day fund. I don't think other teams, you know, we don't get to see other teams' financials. I know some some owners have been rumored to kind of use their NFL money as piggy banks for their other business operations. And so if things do dip, they might be in a little bit of trouble or have to start borrowing money from outside banks and lenders to start uh, covering these losses. But the fact that they have you know 400 million plus there right now will be good. That will basically, that covers two years worth of basically zero local revenue, which that number won't be zero, even if there's not a season, that number won't be zero. There'll be, you know, some local activities, the surrounding area businesses that they've owned and developed over time. That counts as well. But we're not the Packers of the past where we're going to be hard up for cash and, you know, issuing more stock just to keep the team afloat. Um, they'll be okay. But it's all this talk with the salary cap going down. And that's really the agreement because the owners and the players, they're, they're partners, right? And they share. And so while the money is going to go down, the pl- the owners are going to see that, the teams are going to see that decrease, but also the players are going to see that decrease. And that's kind of, right. we talked about a little bit earlier, that's mm-hmm. the hard part of the negotiations coming in the camp and stuff. And my understanding is the deadline or the, not the, there's not a hard deadline, but 
is going to be like August 1 is yep. where they're looking to hope to get most of that financial stuff sorted out for the most part. And and speaking of August 1st, too, that is the possible opt-out for for players, correct? Right, right. And that there's that's still a little shaky right now. So there are they are trying to figure out a way for players to say, I'm at risk, my family's at risk, or someone I live with is at risk, or see, I don't want to play because it's just too risky, even if I'm not considered high risk or not. And they're trying to come up with tiers for how that will actually affect your contract, right? So if you're under contract for 2020 and you opt out and you come back and play next year, does that mean that you're playing on your 2021 salary or your 2020 salary? Okay. They don't know. There's also rules about, okay, let's say they own, like they play four or five weeks of the season and then the NFL has to shut down like kind of what the NBA did, trying to figure out what happens there. I think the NFL's latest proposal that I've heard is that if they play less than six games and the season shuts down, they're going to treat everyone's contracts like next year as if they're under contract from 2021. So if you had, if you, if you were under contract for 2020 and 2021, you would come back and play next year and you'd be under contract now for 2021 and 2022, but using the lines of your, in your deal where it says you're this year, you're going to get paid X amount of dollars. Next year you're going to paid Y amount of dollars. It all just kind of gets shifted down. Okay. And they're, yeah. So they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to be fair. One thing that I found was interesting is that if you opt out, you can't come back and you can't renegotiate your deal. They don't want, the league doesn't want players to use it as a type of holdout scenario where I'm I'm opting out and I want to get all the protections that might come with opting out because they're going to agree upon, you know, how to handle your specific contract situation. So they don't want to give you all these protections and then have you say, oh, by the way, I'm not going to come back unless I next year, unless I get a reworked deal. They're saying, nope, that's something that the NFL is sticking hard with. But as of right now, if a player just says, I'm not coming back, you have all these players saying, you know, I might not play, I might not play. The rules today, you would get mandatory fines for not showing up to training camp, which is supposed to start in two days for rookies and uh, quarterbacks. But that will all be worked out. Just to clarify, it starts July 23rd. 23rd, yes. Yeah, recording a few days early. So that'll all be worked out. You know, the the rules of the, the CBA are a lot more rigid this year for holdouts and stuff. But obviously, with players opting out or just the uncertainty of this, those will be kind of retroactively probably relaxed. But if you do, you know, say you're going to play and you try and do a training camp holdout, then I think those rules will apply. But it's it's going to be messy. The end of the day, the the league and the players are trying to figure out a way to make sure that players who are don't want to play because they're just uncomfortable or they've got underlying health issues or they have close friends and family that they might be in close contact with who are at high risk to find ways to responsibly, you know, exit them from this season and have them come back next year, hopefully when everything is more under control. There you have it. That's one of our fan questions. We had what was um, do we know what will happen with a player's contract if they opt out? And you just eloquently and articulately stated that. And as we I mean, this is the new camp on tap. And as we wrap up, uh, when we were 
developing our agenda and our notes, you had mentioned that you have a question for me and I've been eager. I haven't been distracted this whole time. I've been focused. This is a heavy, heavy episode, not as heavy as our COVID on tap episode, but we thank you so much for tuning in and getting your uh, information from the Unknown Packers podcast. But as we wrap up New Camp on tap with myself and Ken Ingalls, what is this question? I'm dying to know. All right. So I was driving around running some errands earlier today and listening to my local ESPN uh, Milwaukee station. And they had a very interesting conversation and debate. And I'm going to take their question and throw it at you, but I'm going to tweak it up a little bit. Okay. So of these three players, or not players, three people within the Packers organization, who will be the last man standing? All right. So you got the GM, Brian Gutekunst. You got the coach, Matt LaFleur. They had Aaron Rodgers, but I'm going to swap out Aaron Rodgers and I'm going to put in Jordan Love. So when when we're in the future, we're 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, and we look back, who's the last person getting a paycheck from the Packers organization? Is it the GM, the coach, or the presumed new quarterback? Who's the last man standing, Bryce? So I, th- what initially comes to mind is if Jordan Love's there and he's part of the future, then that means that Brian Gutekunst hit on that draft pick. And regardless of this 2020 class, the the apple of, of Gutekunst's eye, as well as Packer fans, I don't even know if Apple of our eye, Jordan Love, but he needs to hit on that pick. And that just makes it really complicated now with the pandemic, how that's influenced. What will that mean for Jordan Love's development? What does this season look like? So I will say last man standing, it, yeah, if Jordan Love is still there, that means Brian Gutekunst did his part and... So to, who survives that longer, if, the GM or the quarterback or the or the coach? I am going to go with, well, Brian, oh man. So I, I'm looking at it this way. Brian Gutekunst has been involved with, you know, the Green Bay Packers since early 90s as a scout and has, you know, he's he's Green Bay Packer. You know, he, he is the quintessential person when you, you had him become the general manager so I believe he is in it for the long haul. I think that we're going. I would like to see, at, you know, you know, a long tenure like Wolf had. You know, it could have been longer, like Ted Thompson. I I foresee. I just Gutekunst savvy and what he's done so far, hitting on Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith. Uh, the draft classes will be interesting, but he's proven that Jair Alexander looks to be, you know, a hit and a future All-Pro. It'll be interesting to see what happens with 2019's class, but Elton Jenkins already looks like to be a future All-Pro stud left guard. You can move him up all and down the line. Uh, he's he's next level offensive lineman, and then you're not even adding what Darnell Savage can do as well as what Rashawn Gary is projected to do. So I think Gutekunst's track record so far has shown that he has the savvy, he has the humility to um, withstand. And so I, I will say he'll be the last man standing. And 
because of that, that means he hit on Jordan Love and that all is good with Coach LaFleur and that he has a Super Bowl championship as well, maybe a couple more. So I love that's it. not an easy that's it. not an easy answer. I know. I I thought it was again, they were talking about it and they had Rogers in there. And I'm like, well that that became too easy because I don't think Rogers is gonna be around yep. beyond his current contract, whereas I think both the coach and the GM have that ability. So I thought it'd be fun to substitute and, you know, add a little bit more spice to the question and replace in Jordan Love. So That was spicy. That was spicy. How'd I do? I, I loved it, man. I know. You, okay. you mentioned it was it was a he- you know, it's a little bit more of a heavy topic, heavy conversation, lots of details. So figured a nice fun light little bit of a brain burner to uh to, to end the show would uh you know let us exit on a kind of a on a lighter note chef's kiss ken i love mm-hmm. it and you know what you know what i am going to pay it forward our next episode as we embark on uh this new camp i will ask you a question so brace yourself you've got a question coming my way and uh, I cannot re- wait to talk Packers with you again. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. This is New Camp on Tap. I am your co-host, Bryce Christensen. And I'm Ken Ingles. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound refined. <laughs>